Thank you, guys. Good seeing everyone this morning. Kenny Maines, glad you're here. Good seeing Kenny up here playing with our guys this morning. And uh, welcome to you. If you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're here this morning, whether in person or online, a part of our worship experience. And uh, we always have this anticipation when God's people gather together that God's Spirit is present among us and He's stirring in our hearts and minds, calling us to uh, new levels of commitment for some, uh, what could be a radical transformation, the experience of salvation. Maybe you've been contemplating that, what it is to have a personal relationship with Christ, to be a follower of Christ, we'd love to be able to help you in discerning that call and understanding that call and how you pursue that call. So we do encourage you, uh, whether today, during the course of this service, this week, that you just text FL Respond, just that one word, FL Respond, to the number 833-571-3475. And we'd love to be able to talk with you about that decision. Or maybe you're a follower of Christ already, but you need to be a part of a church family. Uh, faith from a biblical perspective, from a biblical understanding, it's always lived in the context of community. Uh, it is never lived alone. It's never lived in isolation apart from a community of faith. And so we would love to help you in making that decision as well. And I mean no disrespect this morning to the Texas Rangers nor the Houston Astros, but after watching the Cowboys lose to the 49ers last week, I thought no one has contributed more to making Texas a baseball state than has the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> they have single-handedly done it themselves. Maybe that's as it should be. After all, baseball, they say, is the national pastime, going uh, all the way back to Cooperstown in 1839, uh, Abner Doubleday sit down and uh, made some rules, came up with some rules for, uh, this, uh, for this game that he would call baseball. And so from that day forward, ever since, uh, from sandlot fields to stadiums costing hundreds of millions of dollars, this game is played. And the rules for the most part are the same, whether you're talking about uh, three-year-olds that are playing t-ball, uh, all the way to senior adult baseball for former college players over the age of, of 40, uh, the rules are pretty much the same, except for one. At every level of baseball, at every level of talent, one rule remains, three strikes and you're out. So prevalent is the idea of three strikes and you're out. It's even made its way into our penal system. You commit three, you have three felony convictions, three strikes, you are out. Lifetime conviction. Well, the reality is, is that though baseball in life may have very little to offer in terms of grace, thank goodness that our God is a God of redemption. Our God is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of beginning again and again and again. You know, the past several weeks, I've been trying to address some topics that, uh, that I think haunt us as believers and followers of Christ. Maybe not all the time, but at different times and seasons in our life, I do believe that in our faith journey, we're haunted by certain thoughts. And sometimes we feel guilty about uh, holding these thoughts, and, and we're, we're hesitant to talk about them as if they are somehow uh, an expression that uh, reveals a lacking in faith when nothing can be further from the truth. And so we've been entertaining some haunting thoughts that I think can enter into 
our minds uh, as believers. We've talked about uh, being haunted by a sense of inadequacy in our lives sometimes. We have that inferiority complex or we're haunted by regrets of opportunities that were missed, uh, things we could have done that we didn't do or things that we did that we should not have done. Last week we looked at uh, the idea of being haunted by God's no. That when we have actually prayed selflessly, we pray for other people, we pray prayers that are noble, that are interceding on the behalf of others that are broken and dealing with hardship and crises and suffering in life, only to experience God having said no. And then us having to redefine our understanding of God having to grapple with that, how it impacts our faith, and just this haunting thought that maybe something is lacking in our faith. This morning's message plays along with those previous ones. I think it deals with things that can easily haunt us when we fail to live up to our calling, when we know, whether by word, deed, action, attitude, that somehow we have denied our Lord, that we have betrayed our Lord. In our text this morning in John chapter 13, and that's just where we're going to start in John chapter 13, you'll notice that the scene opens in the upper room. Jesus is observing with his, with his disciples his inner circle. He is observing the Passover meal, what will eventually become for us the communion meal, the Last Supper and the Lord's Supper. And he's already identified through the passing of the bread that has been dipped. He has handed it to Judas. Judas being identified as the one that would betray him. And having done that, Jesus comes to say in verse 31, Therefore, when he had left, talking about Judas. Therefore, when he had left, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him Immediately. Jesus would then give to his disciples, you see in verse 34, a new commandment. I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, the biblical understanding of love, it isn't something that is weak. It is, isn't something that is emotive. It isn't something that, uh, that's weak, emotive, and uh, uh, impotent. It's not something that, that is accommodating to others in the lifestyle that they want to lead, that, is a, that they want to lead that is apart from the, the known and revealed word of God. But the most loving thing that we do as the people of God is holding forth the teachings of God's words, the principles and the presets of God's word, God's design for humanity. The most loving thing we do is not withholding that from the world, but holding it forth to them. So Jesus says, this is how you're going to, to be known. This is how the world will recognize you, by the love that, that you have for one another. And so... Uh, when Jesus says this is a new commandment, he doesn't mean that this isn't a thought we've never had before, that the Father has never set forth, but this is how you're going to be identified. Now, you would think that this is the most important thing, and yet Peter, time and time again, we see that Peter wants to fo uh, focus on the obscure at the expense 
of the obvious. Jesus is more concerned, or Peter rather, is more concerned about what Jesus says they could not do, that they cannot go to where he is going right now. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Kind of missed the whole point of what Jesus has just said. Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Then Peter makes this bold claim. It's like he's completely ignored what Jesus had said. And now Peter makes this bold declaration for himself. Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Now listen to the response of Jesus. Because the arrogance and the pride and the ego of Peter has already been shown in this upper room. Jesus has pointed out that one of them will betray you. And Peter again has made the brash statement, these others may betray you, but Lord, I never will. So there is this bold, arrogant, this arrogance and this ego and this pride that is making itself evident in the upper room with these disciples. Jesus replies and says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a a rooster, not a roaster, (laughs) a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now, in the decades to come, Peter would, in fact, lay down his life for Jesus. But in the hours, in the days that will follow this evening as it continues to unfold, Peter will be haunted by this statement. He will be haunted by this failure in his life. And I don't know about you, but when I, you know, of course we have the benefit of looking back in hindsight, but reading about Peter's life, you know, Peter's, I find myself shocked somewhat by Peter. Peter's the last guy I would have expected to do this. I mean, everything we know about Peter up to this point, we've seen him. We've seen it in the upper room. He's bold. He's brash. You know, you just kind of have, you know, in your mind, you just kind of have uh, uh, Peter envisioned as this bigger-than-life personality, kind of just, just this bold, demonstrative type of personality. And he's the, he's the last one that I would expect to betray and deny Jesus. But what we, what we discover And what we know is that sometimes people act out of character. Sometimes people act in ways that we would have never expected, don't we? Don't we? And so we see Peter. We see what Peter has said. We know what Peter would do. But like Peter, each one of us in this room, if we're honest, each one of us have found ourselves or we find ourselves being haunted by the ways that we have denied Jesus, the way that we have betrayed Jesus in our daily lives, in our words, our deeds, our actions, 
and our attitudes. So how does that happen? How does that occur? What can you and I, in these haunting moments of our life, not unlike Peter, what can we learn from this episode in Peter's life that might be a source of of knowledge, that might be a source of encouragement, that might be a source of redemption for some this morning? Well, let's jump ahead. Because the first thing, as we continue to borrow from this experience in the life of of Peter, if we jump ahead to chapter 18, and this is where Peter reappears. So you, you can imagine how shocked Peter must have been when Jesus has told him, you're going to betray me. You're going to betray me three times. I mean, the sun won't rise, the rooster won't crow until you've, de- you've denied me three times before morning. I mean, G- Peter must have been so shocked into silence that he doesn't appear again for five chapters. But now as he appears in chapter 18 and we see what unfolds in his betrayal and his denial of Jesus... What it shows us and what we need to be reminded of is the subtlety of denying Jesus. The subtlety of denying Jesus. Notice how it unfolds. Look at verse 15 of chapter 18 of John. Simon Peter was following Jesus and so was another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter was standing at the door outside, so the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the doorkeeper and brought Peter in. Then the slave woman, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, you are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Verse 25, now Simon Peter was still standing and warming himself So they said to him, you are not one of his disciples as well, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest who was related to the one whose ear Peter cut off said, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter then denied it again and immediately a rooster crowed. Now here's the way I've played this out in my mind. What probably happened. I do believe that Peter was probably shocked. I believe Peter had every good intention that he would not deny his Lord. When he made that claim, it was a noble claim. In his heart and in his mind, he did not think that he would deny his Lord. And so when Jesus said that he would, you'll betray me. The way I envision this is that Peter must have, that Peter probably steeled himself, he galvanized himself, he readied himself for some great frontal assault so that when he was confronted with whether I'm going to accept, whether I'm going to acknowledge, whether I'm going to deny Jesus, I will be ready, I will be prepared, I will see it coming, I'll know how to be prepared. But in so doing, He neglected to recognize the subtleties by which Satan works in our lives. I think we do the same thing. When we hear this kind of language in our conversations about faith and not denying Jesus, not betraying Jesus, 
I think it's somewhat of an ego issue that we automatically envision ourselves when we make the claim, oh, I would never deny Jesus, I would never betray him. I think in our minds we immediately think that, that, it's, that it, we have some kind of grandiose vision of ourselves that, that, boy, you know, if I was ever kidnapped by that communist, Marxist, or Islamic, or, or you know, or, or, or red-suited devil worshipers, terrorist group, if they ever captured me and demanded me that I deny my faith, I never would. I wouldn't do that. Well, that's too easy. That's too obvious. Frankly, it's a bit too Hollywood. Satan doesn't work through the methodologies and the portrayals of evil that you see on the movie screen. That's not the way the devil works. The devil is a serpent. He works in much more subtle forms and fashions. He works in the highways and the byways, the intersections of everyday life, everyday encounters, everyday exchanges that are just part of the norm, that are part of the routine, that are part of the cycle of everyday life. That's where evil works. That's where opportunities of acknowledgement of our, our faith or a denial of our faith take place. I mean, even Matthew in his gospel, in this, in this same account, Matthew would say in verse 26, he would acknowledge that in verse 69 that it was a, a slave woman, just like, just like John said. Verse 71, it was another slave woman. They confronted Peter and asked him about the nature of his relationship with Jesus. But my favorite one that really captures well the theme of what I'm setting forth in this particular point is that in verse 73, the third time it was just, Matthew says, just a bystander. Just a bystander. No commie pinko, no Marxist, no Islamic terrorist. Nobody in a red, red devil suit with a pitchfork. Just a bystander. Just a normal conversation within the day. It's how we deny and betray Jesus. Oh, we, we laugh. We laugh at the cruel, demeaning joke in the office. That's told at the expense of some ethnic group or some particular gender. Oh, we turn our, we turn our heads to unethical business practices in the workplace that, that are perpetuated at the expense of the consumer or at the expense of some lower-rung employee. Or we participate in, in the rumor mill by perpetuating gossip that we hear. And it's in those occasions that we find ourselves denying our Lord. We really can't be too hard on Peter, can we? Because we find that whether it's in a courtyard, it, uh, whether it's in a public square, his betrayal is but a reminder of how we deny Jesus and we betray him in so many myriad ways on a daily basis. Subtlety is the way that we enter into this occasion of denying 
Jesus. But there's a second thing that we could draw from this that I wouldn't want us to miss as we talk about the subtlety of denying Jesus. It reminds us of the, I hope it reminds us of this, and that is the universality of denying Jesus. When I read this account of Peter, we hopefully realize when we read this, we, we understand how vulnerable we all are. That none of us are excluded from the possibility of denying and betraying Jesus in our, in our daily life. I mean, Peter's made the bold claim, I will never deny you. And he believes that in his heart. And when I hear that declaration of Peter, my mind immediately goes to what Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in verse 12. Paul said to the church at Corinth, let, therefore let, he, let the one who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let he who thinks he is strong, let he who thinks he is firm, fixed, let he who thinks he stands, take heed, be careful, lest he fall. Because listen, where Satan attacks you, Satan attacks you not at your point of weakness, your point of strength. You know, you know the areas in your life where you're weak, where you're vulnerable. I know mine. But those are the very things that you give over to the Lord. You say, Lord, I'm weak in this area. Lord, I, I need your strength. Lord, I need your protection in this. Satan doesn't fool with those areas that you are entrusting and giving over to the Father. Where Satan is going to attack you in your life, is where you say, I'm strong in this. I'll never be vulnerable in this area of my life. Satan says, boom, I got you. Because your strength can in no way compete with his. Just ask Gordon MacDonald. 1986, Gordon MacDonald was on top of the world. He was the president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. He was much, in, much admired, much respected all across Christendom, globally, held in highest regard. Within a year, Gordon MacDonald was a broken man, he committed adultery. By 1998, 1988 rather, he was on the road to recovery. And he wrote a book entitled, Rebuilding Your Broken World. And in that book, he tells the story of, of an event that transpired just a few years before his adulterous relationship. He was sitting at a commencement service at a faith-based university, Christian University. He was the speaker. He was going to speak to the graduating class. But as the events were, were unfolding, he was sitting up there on the stage and with the, the regents or the trustees of that institution. And one of the regents that uh, was engaging him in conversation, he said in the course of their conversation and the life of faith and talking about the life of faith, this particular trustee asked Gordon McDonald, if Satan was going to attack you, if he was just going to blow you out of the water, what area of your life would he attack? Gordon MacDonald said, that's a great question. And it's worthy of thoughtful consideration, and I'm going to do that. 
But he said, I can tell you one area where Satan could never get me, where I would never be vulnerable, and that's in my marriage. That's in my marriage. Within a year, he was an adulterer. Let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. See, most of us feel very bold in here. It's very easy to be bold about your faith sitting in an air-conditioned, padded pew sanctuary. It's very easy to be bold in your faith sitting in an upper room with people of like mind and like beliefs. But where we are vulnerable, where we need to have our head on a swivel and be on the alert is out there in the intersections of everyday life. That's where our claims of faith are proved out, in the streets and not in sanctuaries. A third thing, if not the most important thing, is jumping ahead to chapter 21. Because this is a significant event in the life of Peter, especially in the light of his betrayal. And what it reveals to us is the potentiality of, of denying Jesus. Now, initially, what I wanted to do was, in looking at this story of redemption and the possibilities of redemption, I, I was going to begin in verse 15, but it was interesting last week in looking at this, I'm, I'm always doing looking at things in context. I, I never want to proof text the sermon, just lift something out of context to make it say what I want to say. I want it to be in agreement with the context, what comes before it, what comes after it. That's good biblical interpretation, a part of good biblical interpretation. But interestingly, and it's never really caught my eye before, but I noticed in, in verse 12, there's a telling statement here, and for whatever reason, uh, I just attribute it to the Spirit. It captured my eye, captured my attention. Jesus said to them, this is on the Sea of Galilee, this is after the resurrection, before the ascension. And there Jesus is gathering, he's, he's on the sea, the, the, the disciples are out on the water, they see Jesus on the shore, they come in. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Where did we start the message today? We were in an upper room, around a table, around a meal. It's interesting to me, it captivates me and my attention, how much redemption is done around a meal. How much redemption is accomplished around a table. That fact is, Jesus wasn't the only one that betrayed, wasn't, I mean, Peter wasn't the only one that betrayed Jesus, was he? I mean, all the other disciples ran. They betrayed him and denied him as well. But in light of that, Jesus says, let's sit at the table. Let's gather here on, on the beach and let's have breakfast together. I know what you did. I still want us to have a relationship with one another. 
I still, I still have things that, that I'm accomplishing in, in your life. I still have this sense of intimacy. And that's what a table and a meal is. It's a place of trust. It's a place of, of intimacy. So sitting there with all those disciples, can you imagine how relieved they, they must feel to be gathering with him again around the table? And then the attention turns to Peter. When they had finished breakfast, verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that, that I love you. He said to him, shepherd, my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt. We, can even, we cannot even fathom. Peter was hurt because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? Imagine the shame and the guilt that Peter must have been harboring and feeling. And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. You see, even in our betrayals and denials, there is so much potentiality for redemption, renewal, beginning again. Tend my sheep, tend my lambs. He's going to say two more times in the passage that follow. And even these other verses, we're not going to look at them today. But Jesus says two more times in, in verse 19 and verse 22, follow me. Because what Jesus does, he goes on and tells Peter how he's going to die. Peter, you're going to give your life for me. You're going to be stretched out. And indeed, he would be. But instead of, instead of hearing that and hearing Jesus say, follow me, Peter again, and this is why I love Peter, he is so human. He gets sidetracked from the obvious and wants to focus on the obscure. He starts asking about, well, what's going to happen to John? Yeah, I get it, I'm going to die, but what about John? Peter's like, you know, what is it to you? If John lives until I come again, you just follow me. And he ends up saying again, just follow me. Just follow me. That's all you got to worry about. Stay in your lane. But I find such encouragement in this account because it reveals so much potential for each and every one of us for redemption and renewal time and time again. Listen, Peter had three strikes against him. But he wasn't out. That's what grace does. That's what grace does accomplishes you keep getting up again and again and again and you follow him that's what he did for Peter can you imagine the shame and the guilt that Peter's experienced he violated that trust with his Lord he violated a trust because of his arrogance his ego his pride he violated the trust of that room the sanctity of that room with those other disciples? These 12 that, that are 11 at this point that are, that are going to be the foundation of the church. This is a special group. This is the foundation. The apostolic roots of the church. And Peter's pride and arrogance and ego. It has violated the sanctity of that room. So we can't even imagine the shame and guilt. Maybe we can. I think we can actually. 
And there is nothing more powerful, one other thing more powerful, but it is a powerful thing to see someone like Peter whose pride and arrogance and ego that has now been broken, and we see his woundedness, we see his hurt. Listen, it is a powerful visual to see someone that is hurt and wounded to the point of, of, to the point of contrition and repentance. But you know what is more powerful? What is a more powerful vision? It's what grace can accomplish when it is given to the one of a contrite and repentant heart. And that's what's happened to Peter. And that's what can happen to you and to me. But we've got it. We can't just wallow in our guilt and our shame for how we've denied him, how we've betrayed him. Now you've got to keep, keep following. Keep following. Because here's to me is one of the most powerful verses at the end of the narrative. In verse 25, but there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I expect that even in the world itself, that not even, that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. But you see, it wasn't just the things that Jesus did then that the books of the world could not contain. It is also what Jesus is doing now and what Jesus desires to do now through us. He knows us. He knows us as well. Listen, he knew Peter better than Peter knew himself. But he keeps offering him grace and mercy. Keep getting up to the plate keep swinging keep following and the grace of God will continue to renew and to restore again and again and again but you've got to keep getting up you've got to keep walking to the plate and you've got to keep swinging let's pray together Father we're grateful for your mercy for your grace, that you are the God of beginning again, that you are the God of renewal and the God of restoration. And Father, as we have been a people redeemed by your mercy and grace, my prayer is, is that as we go from this place, that we would be a redeeming presence in our world, that because we have known your grace, we would be gracious to others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And as we stand to be dismissed this morning, it will be with this blessing from Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven or on earth or under the earth or on the sea and all things in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. God bless you. Go in peace.